All right, you can turn in your Bible this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we'll be taking our text from, Children's Church. Uh, if you have kids, I will just say up front that this is another PG-13 message. Uh, so if you don't want them hearing certain things about uh, romance, you might want to uh, let them go ahead and ease on out. Uh, but if you're fine with that, then uh, it's not going to be X-rated, but it is PG, and you can explain those things later to them. All right, uh, let's once again pause and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started here in, uh, in our message. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us, and uh, we just ask, God, that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would be blessed, and as Riley has already asked, Lord, that uh, you would give us wisdom. We understand as we study your word, Lord, that the only way that we understand anything at all is by your spirit, and that he would be the one who would teach us this morning. We pray, O oh God, that um, lives could be changed, outlooks could be changed, and Father, that we would be a people that could have an impact in this community for the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, we are grateful that we are not alone. And Father, as we just heard played, oh, what a joy to be in my Father's house today. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your goodness. And we ask all that in Jesus Christ's name. And the church said, Amen. All right. I've got my sunglasses on so you won't be embarrassed by the message. Uh, I'll actually take those off. Uh, aren't you glad, though, that God does not cover up uh, things about life? That he is very clear in his word, and there's no reason at all for us really to be embarrassed by what his word says. And this morning's text uh, is going to deal with a couple of those subjects that there was some misunderstanding on the part of the church of Corinth. Uh, up to this point in our study, what Paul has really been focused on, he has really focused on reproof and correction uh, with the church. He was having to really get on to them kind of heavily for some of the things that were going on inside of the body of Christ. But today he turns more to instructing the church. And Paul is really addressing, and we'll be several weeks now, about three weeks I think, on the issue of marriage and what a Christian marriage and how that this church needed to turn their look around toward marriage was. Marriage in uh, Corinth really had several complications. For instance, under Roman law, there were four separate types of marriage. There was the slave situation, and some slaves were treated good, some slaves were treated very, very badly. But here was one of the things that in marriage, when it came to slaves in that culture, is that the owner of the slave would allow them to enter into what was called tent companionship. Tent companionship. In other words, a man or a woman could live in, a, the, in their dwelling with another slave so long as it suited the person who they were a slave to. And so that marriage could end at any point because he could say, I don't want you to live together, I don't like the idea of it, or he could simply sell one or the other in a different direction. Aren't you glad for the freedom that we have in Christ today? Now, there was another type of marriage that was involved. And the second type that was there is called common law marriage. Common law marriage is if in the Roman culture, 
that if you live together for a year or more, you are considered to be married. Now, that shouldn't really be a big surprise for us here as well. Did you know in Alabama, Alabama has common law marriage? Uh, and there are some states that accept that and some states that don't. We won't get into it. I think there's about 20-some states, almost half of the states in the United States, that accept common law marriage. But that was another type of marriage uh, that was going on there as well. And then there was a third type, and this was where a father would sell his daughter to the prospective uh, husband. So he could say, hey, listen, for a certain dowry, uh, you know, I will sell my daughter to you, and, you know, uh, that's the marriage you'll enter into. So, you know, Maddie, be sure to behave real well uh, so we don't want to get you sold off somewhere. I, I, I just, I never could convince anybody to pay for my daughters, but I did say this, that when they were married, I said, they come with a do not return policy. Uh, once you got them, they're yours, bro. Uh, so there was that third type. And then fourth, there was this fourth type. And the fourth type of marriage was this. The fourth type of marriage was where both families were involved in the marriage. Uh, the, husband, or the, the prospective husband and prospective bride would come together. They would exchange vows. They would even exchange rings. Both of the uh, sides of the family were involved in the planning of the ceremony. And so really, when we think about that, that is where we get in our culture today, our culture of marriage is more like the Roman culture, that fourth marriage today, than any other uh, one that is out there. Now, so four different types of marriage, and what happens is what we got going on in this situation is you actually have all four of those marriages, all four of those circumstances in the church of Corinth. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be a confusing situation. I mean, you've got all of that going on from the culture that they were saved out of, and obviously there were some questions that were coming up out of that. And along with marriage, there was also divorce. In fact, it was a common practice in that culture and that uh, divorce was done, and it was not uncommon for men and women to have been divorced and remarried 20 times or more. That's a, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, 20 times or more. Uh, did you know, like in Canada a few years ago, I don't know what it is in the United States, but in Canada, uh, I don't know if they're still practicing it, but when, a, when they, uh, a man and a woman got married, the woman kept her last name. They didn't even change the last name because divorce was so common that they were having a hard time with the paperwork, keeping up with all the name changes. So they just said, whatever your maiden name is, that is your name. So culture really hasn't changed all that much. Along with divorce, there was also a heavy feminist movement. There were many childless marriages, and women would compete with their husbands in business ventures. I'm not talking about going into them with a business venture. They would compete against their husbands in, in a business venture. And they would also compete with their husbands in strength uh, training or strength events. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to look at some of those women, uh, you know, so I, I prefer mine kind of like my little brunette, kind of petite. But that is what was going on. Even though they had made vows, divorce was rampant, competition rampant with one another in the marriage, and that is what was going on inside the church. The early church, again, had all four of those types of marriages there, had the problems of divorce, 
And then there was another problem that had crept in on top of it. There were a group of people who were saying this and teaching this in the church and saying, if you want to be super spiritual, you could do one of two things. You can remain single or you can remain celibate, right? Now we understand celibate means this, no sexual relations. And the problem with that is they were saying this is what really puts you in a another higher position you are in the super spiritual category if you're single or if you're celibate now the problem is that it even infiltrated into the existing marriages so you had men and women both husbands and wives saying well i want to be spiritual so what i'm going to be is i'm going to be celibate right now I'll just kind of right do i need to put my glasses back on or are you guys okay we understand that there need to be some romantic relationships in marriage. Amen. Thank you, brother. I know we're Baptists, right? Because everybody's saying, well, wait a minute. I know everybody else does that, but don't look at me like that. I do that in my marriage. Can we just get, I mean, Paul, is, I mean, this is coming out of the Bible, folks. And by the way, there's some graphic stuff that we're going to get into. And if you really want to get some graphic stuff, read the Song of Solomon or read the Proverbs. And, and you know, I threaten Ann sometimes and she says, if you do that, I will hit you in the head if you say something like that. I'm just telling you that there is some... Stuff here that sometimes God's people shy away from, instead of engaging what the Bible says and engaging what culture says and saying, here is the God who created us and who created everything. Why don't we just do it his way? And I think we would have a whole lot more satisfied people in the world. This morning we're going to see a couple of principles. Let me give them to you. We'll see the principle of advantage and avoidance principle of advantage and avoidance and the principle of shared intimacy a principle of limited abstinence and the principle of gifted giftedness <clears throat> i'll give those out to you again as we walk through them look at verse one uh, and two if, if you would with me and this would be the principle of advantage and avoidance paul says now concerning the things whereof you uh, wrote unto me it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. All right, so out of these two verses is we get two principles, uh, really about an advantage and something to be avoided. So let's just kind of give a, a little bit behind that. And uh, Paul starts out by letting them know that he's going to answer the questions they have concerning marriage and sexual relationships with one another. Evidently, they, excuse me, they had written a letter to him uh, wanting to know about this, saying, what, what do we do about this? I mean, these are the things that we're facing. Uh, some of the mature Christians were even struggling with, how do we handle this? I mean, we got some real issues going on, and, and we need to know what God wants us to do in the situation. So Paul lets them know, hey, listen, I'm going to give you the answers to that. And then the thing that we need to remember when we read through this is that there were some that were teaching that to remain uh, celibate or not to engage in sexual activity was actually a super spiritual place to be. 
Now, we have to kind of balance that out with, you know, last week we learned that one of the things that they were still doing is that the men and women, because uh, sex was such a part of that culture, men and women were still going back to the old system that they had to where they would uh, go and have sex with prostitutes, both male and female prostitutes, inside of the temple. And Paul had admonished and rebuked them over that. And now they're saying, but now we're being taught, hey, we just need to be celibate. We don't need to have any type of sexual relationships at all because that makes us spiritual. The idea had crept into marriage as well, causing some of them in the marriage saying, listen, if I'm going to be a spiritual person, then, you know, I'm going to remain celibate. So it wouldn't be this, honey, I've got a headache. It would be, honey, I'm just trying to be spiritual. You can laugh, it's okay. We get awful intense on these subjects, and we like to sometimes cover them up instead of just looking at what the Bible has to say about it. Right? And I, I can tell you the reason that we're in such a jam in the world today, why that we have the concept of marriage, the concept of sex completely out of kilt is because too many of God's people have taken their cues from the world rather than what the Bible says. So Paul wants to address these issues. And the first thing that he says there is that there is an advantage. Look at verse 1 again. It says this, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, and here it is, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That not to touch a woman is a euphemism for not to have sexual relationships. Now Paul is saying that. He says that is a good thing. It is the same word for expedient. It is the same word that says it is an advantage. He says that is a good thing, right? And the reason it was good in Paul's eyes was simply this, is that if you are single... Uh, obviously, it is, you know, against God's word that you become involved sexually outside of marriage. We kind of covered that last week. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, but he is going beyond that and saying, hey, if you're in a single place to remain celibate, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Why is it a good thing? Well, he explains it later in Scripture, and we'll get to it at some point, that it allows you to focus more on your, your uh, uh, activities for Christ in this world. That you're not divided in two different, trying to please two different areas. So he says that is a good thing. But what we also want to know is, you know, Paul, he again does not disagree that that's a bad thing. But what we want to say is this. He did, let's focus on what he did not say. He did not say that being married was a bad thing. So... He wanted to get across to him saying, listen, if you're celibate, that's good. If you're single, that's good. But he would never go against what the Bible also says about marriage. For instance, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, when God had created everything and he had created man, and there is everything, Adam sees everything out there, all of creation, all of the animals, and he says this still, it is not good for a man to be alone. And so what does he do? He creates a woman. Because he knew that the woman was going to be the one who would bring companionship to him. And by the way, marriage is God's idea. It's not man's idea. 
And Jesus took it all the way back to the garden when he talked about marriage. So Paul was not saying that it is good to remain or bad to, to be married and that somehow by remaining single or celibate made a person more spiritual. Right? It, it doesn't. And we'll find this out as we close out this message today about just the gift or the, uh, just the principle of giftedness. But so he's covered the, that, the good or the advantage, but then he says there is something to be avoided. And we find that in verse 2. Let's look at that. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, you remember fornication is where we get our word porneia, and porneia simply means any type of sexual immorality. All right, so it would include anything. It would include porn. It would include sex outside of marriage. It would include uh, wrong sex, uh, uh, man, uh, man and man, woman and woman, etc., etc. All of that is what fornication covers. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Aren't you glad here that we see that God is equal both for men and women? And he says, look, I understand that there can be a problem both for men and for women. Therefore, every man should have his own wife and every woman should have her own husband. Now, in particular, that should be, you might even want to circle or underline owned, right? It's not that every man should have somebody else's wife and every woman should have somebody else's husband. He's saying every man should have his own wife <clears throat> and every woman should have his own. Can I get a drink? Otherwise, I'm going to choke out up here. Something in the air today. All right. So here's the thing. In order to avoid sin through sexual immorality, Paul encourages men and women to marry. Right? He, Paul knew that sexual attraction is a strong desire and that in a society that pressed toward uh, uh, the public, toward activities and temptations, uh, they would be strong. However, it must be noted that sex is not the reason for marriage. Right? I mean, that, that just needs to be, you know, we, we would do well to teach, you know, some, uh, if you watch any television show or if you watch any movie, it is unbridled romance. How many of you that have been married for a minute understand that when you get married for any length of time, it is not unbridled romance, right? I mean, I think just all of us agree with that. Now, because the life's demands are pretty hard. And so again, why do we get married? He says, listen, if you, he says, it's, it is going to be a natural fact that men and women are attracted to one another. Right? I mean, it just happens because God made us that way. You know, I'd heard one guy say one time that when God made woman, that the way that woman came up, I'd heard somebody say it was a man with a womb, and then another guy actually said it was this way, that when Adam looked at the woman, he goes, whoa, man. <laughs> yeah, because he was like, wow, that's something, man. I mean, I, I definitely like what you did with this one, Lord. I mean, the rhinoceros, that was neat, but, you know, <laughs> the woman is, I mean, wow. I mean, just saying. Now, we <laughs> We got to lighten it up because you guys are looking at me like, oh man. <laughs> next time we do this, just bring your sunglasses next week, okay? You'll, you'll, you'll all be all right. So, 
Let's just talk about a few reasons for marriage that the Bible lays out. Well, according to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, one of the reasons for marriage is this, is for procreation. In other words, that we have children, right? That is one of the reasons, but that is certainly not the only reason that we are to be married. Uh, procreation is something that, that the Lord says, listen, be fruitful and multiply. Have children. Uh, they're a joy. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about a quiver. A man that is rich has a quiver full of arrows. He has, a, he has a group of children. That's a good thing. Not everybody can have children, but he says that is one of the reasons for marriage. But again, not the only reason. Here's something that may shock some people, uh, that marriage is for pleasure. It's for pleasure. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 5 and verses 18 through 19, I won't read it this morning. Thank you, Betty. She's got her sunglasses on. All right. So <laughs> when, when you get to Proverbs chapter 5, you, you get to that point that it, it talks, again, graphic about how the husband is to be satisfied by his wife. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's scriptural for that. Uh, ma marriage should involve pleasure in our lives. Uh, listen, it would be a sad thing. Ann and I have been married for 38 years. Can I tell you that I still enjoy being with my wife? It's important. We still hold hands. We still kiss. Uh, you know, and again, we're in an adult room. We've got some young ones. And, and my kids that are in their 30s now, uh, you know, some of them uh, fastly approaching on 40, will see Ann and I, and you know, we're hugging or kissing, and they'll say, Dad, Mom, please, get a room. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what, they eat it up. Because they know that their old man is in love with their mama. You see, marriage is for procreation, marriage is for pleasure, marriage is for partnership. Genesis 2.18 says this, that it's not good for a man to be alone. I was just thinking of Gene Lewis and how he had been married to six, 65 years, and he would just tear up over the fact that his bride was in heaven already. But I'm going to tell you what, they're in heaven right now together, and I guarantee you that they're probably enjoying one another there just being together in that presence of the Lord. Not only for a partnership, but it is for a picture. By, by the way, can I say something? That the marriage is in, in partnership. It is not only that we have enjoyed raising children. It is not only that we have gone through the trials and tribulations together in sickness and in health. And, and for richer or for poor, I'm glad that we took those vows serious because we've been in sickness and we've been in health. We've been rich. Well, we haven't been rich. We've had some and we've definitely had not. And I'm grateful for a partner who walked through that with me. And not only that, but we are partners in ministry, and we have always looked at it that way. And I haven't always been a pastor. As a matter of fact, I've spent more time like you just ministering in the body of Christ, and I am so grateful to have a partner who has ministered with me like that. So not only is it for that partnership, but it is also a picture according to Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 23 uh, through 32. It talks about the... the uh, marriage being a picture of Christ and his bride. 
And you see, when people look at us, they ought to be able to see that. He said, that's a mystery. He said, I'm showing you a mystery here, that this is a picture of Christ and his bride, that that love that they share with one another, as their submission to one another, they're sharing with one another, they're suffering with one another. Our marriages are a picture of the church and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is also for purity. It is to be a picture of purity. One man, one woman. Not bringing other influences in. That's the avoidance that he says, be careful. He says, I know that there are going to be sexual attractions. And he says, rather than burn with lust, get married. Get married. Wouldn't that just be good, inf good information for a kid to sit down? Wouldn't that be good information for a parent to be able to sit down and say, let me tell you some of the things about marriage. For a grandparent to come down and say that? Wouldn't that be good for a church to come around the youth that we do have and say, and listen, not only do your mother and father believe this, not only do your grandparents believe that, but we as a people believe this. And so it's not mom and dad's religion. And at some point it becomes their belief and their faith. Second principle that we have is found in verses 3 and 4, and it's the principle of shared physical intimacy. I won't say which one of my children, in case they listen to this, but they will immediately know who it is. They're married. Their husband uh, came home with some flowers. And uh, just kind of giving you this as an illustration and, and, and talking about uh, shared physical intimacy. Brought some flowers home, has a card, hands it to my daughter, and she's thinking, such a sweet husband. I wonder what the card says. And she opens it up, and it's like just two words. Boom. Romance. <laughs> I don't know if that's the way to go about shared intimacy, right? Uh, but that's the way guys think most of the time. Hey, here's some flowers. Boom. Romance. Right? But there is a principle of shared intimacy that we find in verses 3 and 4. It says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So let me explain a few things about that. Celibacy is not to be exercised in marriage. That's what those two verses are talking about. It's saying, listen, you don't have the right to say no. And that goes for the husband or the wife. You, you, oh, man, we just got awful silent. You know, in our society, the men say, yeah, boy, what about this? When the wife says, hey, how about it, big boy? You see, the Bible makes it very clear that this is a two-way street. And it is to be something, he says, again, it is a, you know, I mean, I have to watch myself so I don't get in trouble with my wife when I get home. But the idea that having intimacy with my wife would be a responsibility. I don't look at it that way. But evidently, there was some problem here that Paul says, listen, it, it is a responsibility for the wife and for the husband that they share intimacy with one another 
Note there, though, here's something I think that our culture gets it all wrong on. Our culture says this, I want the pleasure. But the Bible says it's not about me getting the pleasure. It's about me giving pleasure. It's not about my needs being met. It's about me meeting the needs of my spouse. Now, have we got that turned around in our culture or what? We have. And Paul is trying to, and, and, hey, it's nothing new. Can, can we get this? The, the Bible says, you know, through Solomon, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. Right? What has been done will be done again. What has been said will be said again. And so Satan just always uses the same old things. And, and by the way, we can't blame everything on Satan. The flesh takes care of the majority of our problems. I mean, that, that is what drives most of us. Satan's not driving most of us. Our own flesh drives most of us. It is not to be self-centered, but the idea is to giving pleasure and fulfillment to the spouse. It is something that God has made, talking about romance, and to abstain with the idea that somehow you are being spiritual by not being mutually inclusive in romance is really sinful. Can I get an amen at that point? For those who are married, let me back up. Understand this. Your body is not your own. It belongs to God. Right? It belongs to God. Your, everything about you belongs to Him. Now, the only exception to that is when you get married, and the Bible here makes it very clear that you are also co-owned by your spouse, your body. That's it. That's the exception. You belong to God, and if you're married, then you also belong to your spouse. Now, note there that God doesn't discriminate between men and women so that folks can't run around, oh, it's terrible, men, you know, they have control over the wife's body, it's terrible. Well, just read the whole scripture. It says the wife should have control over the husband's body, too. Now, there is mutual responsibility to give sexually to their spouse in a marriage. Scripture. Scripture. talk about this third principle the principle of limited abstinence verse 5 it says defraud ye not one another except it be for consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that satan tempt you not for your incontency what's it saying there it's saying that there may be times in your marriage where you abstain from physical intimacy. But there needs to be a very clear understanding of when that is going to be. There will be times of abstinence. But here is the guideline for those times. It needs to be with the consent of one another. Isn't that a, a, a novel idea? That you would care enough for each other that you would sit down and say, hey, look, uh, uh, we, we need to think about this. Uh, we need to back off for a little bit, and here's, here's some of the reasons why. 
Number one, it, it needs to have a time limit, right? It's just like not walking in someday and saying, hey, this is it, you know, uh, we're going to abstain. Well, why are we going to abstain? Well, we'll talk about that. Well, let's talk about how long. How long is that going to happen? How long is it going to be for? It needs to be for a purpose. It's not just for any reason, right? It needs to have a purpose behind it. And it needs to have an end. And here's why it needs to have an end. To avoid temptation. Folks, you know and I know that if somebody is involved in physical intimacy and it just stops, there will be temptations. And I will say this, that, that physical intimacy when it is taken and brought to the right place that it needs to be in a Christian marriage, does not just involve the physical aspect. It is to know one another as a friend. It is to enjoy one another as a companion. It is to know each other spiritually, and it is consummated physically. And that brings an intimacy that the world is longing for. You see, the world is running from one relationship to the next because they've left out all the other parts. But the biggie there, listen, very clear in verse 5, says you need to come together after a certain time. In other words, you just don't keep separated from one another because if you do that is opening the door for satan to come in and place someone or something in a in a position to lure you and tempt you to do something that's going to dishonor that marriage and i guarantee you i've been around long enough that i have seen it happen in marriages where one spouse or the other says i'm done and pretty soon, one of those two spouses starts looking somewhere else. And it's because they violate a principle of Scripture. Final point this morning. The principle of giftedness. Look at, uh, let's look at verse um, 6 and 7. It says, but I speak this by permission and not of a commandment. Uh, Really, that is, that is not Paul just making up his own mind. He says, hey, I have the freedom to do this. Christ has given me the freedom to say this. It says, but verse 7, For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. What's he saying there? What's he saying there? You need to look at where you're at. Am I single? Be content. Be content. Unless you can't, and, and, unless that, that drive is just driving you, then, hey, yeah, you need to look for somebody. Paul was saying, look, I, I would like for you to be like me because Paul put all of his attention and focus. That's why he said by permission. He said, this is not a commandment. He said, I would love for everybody to be like me with one single mindedness, and that is to serve Christ with every single breath I have. Now, let's just be honest. That is hard to do when you're married, right? And married with children, right? Because we are working on all those other things, cooking, 
earning a living, you know, taking care of kids, changing diapers, wiping snotty noses, your husbands, whatever, right? <laughs> but it, you see the point. Is that it's, he says, whatever you find yourself, be content. If you're married, be content. That's a gift. If you're single, it's a gift. But being married or being single does not bring you into a special place with God. Now then, has that whole concept been abused? Well, yeah. Look at, look at Roman Catholicism, for an instance, to where you have priest who says, well, uh, you know, I'm going to remain celibate because that means I'm more spiritual. And what is the result of that? The result of that is the scandals that we see constantly about sex abuse. Or for, listen, if you're called to that, that's good. See it as a gift. But if you can't control that, get married. And again, it's not a free-for-all. Right? We know that. So, with, a, with an audience like this, again, what, what a great way. And Ann and I were really not building it into this message, but what a great way for the older women to teach the younger women and for the older men to teach the younger men some things about life, some things about marriage, some things about being a husband, some things about being a wife. Man, we need that. Paul was just trying to say, listen, let me give you an answer for the question you asked. Don't think that being celibate makes you single. Don't think being married, or pardon me, being celibate, celibate doesn't necessarily make you single. Don't think that being celibate makes you spiritual. But don't think being married makes you spiritual either. Because go, both of those are a gift from God. Just enjoy it where you're at. Now, next week, we'll talk about the permanence of marriage and God's plan along those lines. And again, they were, they were in a terrible jam because many of them had, like I said, been divorced 20 times. And they were trying to figure out and saying, well, what do I do? <laughs> I mean, what, what do I do here? And, and we'll talk about that next week. And, and God's got a great answer for it. And, and I, I would think for some that it, it would be a, a weight lifted off their shoulders what God says. Let me just give you, a, let me give you a clue. Stay as you are. <laughs> Stay as you are. Right? Just pick up where you're at and go. It's a great way. Isn't it amazing how God's wisdom is so good? If we just follow it. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, we thank you for the stay that you have given us. We thank you for your word and Lord, uh, I pray this morning that you would, by your spirit, taking your word, that you would encourage us as a people. And while I would hope that the majority of our marriages are solid, uh, Lord, we can't look into to hearts and make that determination, but God, you know. So I pray, Father, this morning that you would uh, work in each and every person's life that is here, teaching them wherever they find themselves, single, divorced, married, widowed, whatever the case is, God, that you would be the one who works in all of our hearts.
We thank you for your goodness. We praise you, God, that we can trust and rely on you and that you have given us everything that we need in this life for holiness and godliness. And we pray that in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.